Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 422nd edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're on Voice America Business Channel and we're broadcasting across the world and this is our ninth year from our studio in Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And this is the place where technology meets entertainment. This is a pretty much a music-based show today. My interview after the break is with an industry legend and a good friend of mine, Bob Leone. He's not only a great guy... He's also the person who discovered two of the most important stars in the history of music, the incomparable Lady Gaga and the superb Lana Del Rey. And he found both of them. So if you're into music, this show's for you. I guess we all agree that streaming has transformed the music business. Well, at least it has for now. But I guess the question is, what's next? And the fortunes of the global record industry can be neatly summed up in three statistics. In 1999, the world's record companies generated $29 billion. By 2013, four years later, that number fell to below $15 billion. So it lost 50% of its revenue. And last year, driven by streaming, it had recovered $4 billion, still $10 billion off the peak, but nevertheless a slight improvement. And Goldman Sachs forecasts that by 2030, the worldwide record business will be generating $41 billion. That's a massive growth. That's over double what it is now. And $28 billion of that will be from streaming to over 1 billion subscribers. Now, record companies are working hard to achieve this. Sony Music's number of annual artist signings soared by 93% between 2015 and 2018. Warner Music Group turned over a record 4 billion plus last year. Yet in 2011, when Spotify launched in the US, and then piracy hit WMG, was forecasting that the recorded music industry had been declining and will continue to decline, but streaming turned all that around. Now, here are the key predictions from industry heavies. Augmented reality will be the new format for the music business. The record industry continues to enjoy enjoy (laughs) double-digit annual growth from streaming, with the market expected to post over $20 in revenue this year. But after streaming, what's next? What will be the next major innovation in the way that fans connect with artists? Well, augmented reality has the potential to be the next format for music, And the reason for that is because it actually puts fans at the heart of the experiences and it's authentic. It's not about 
pre-produced content. It's about something that's real and happening in real time. I don't know whether you saw Mark Ronson's Pieces of Us video, but that shows us what um, AR's possibilities are. Released in August, it was hosted as an evolving Instagram story and offered fans multiple different experiences using real-time AR effects. The video encouraged fans to make their own versions of the production using various AR tools. So that concept's really got legs because it's all about authenticity and getting the fans into the magic, and that's critical. Now, Facebook's new Portal TV hardware also creates AR-related possibilities. Facebook's testing new AR filters, which could potentially create experiences that really bring something different to the market in a way that not only celebrates music, that isn't just about being the top of the charts. Secondly, there's substantial opportunity for growth in the music market. But streaming services, well, if you look at them now, they're all the same, aren't they? There's no difference between any of the streaming services. So you, um, we have to think about how are they going to differentiate themselves. Universal Music Group, the largest music rights company in the world, posted year-on-year streaming revenue growth of approximately $500 million in the first nine months of this year. Yet in the same period last year, they actually made a bigger growth at $611 million. And that's because there's no differentiation. When you look at smart device pres- uh, penetration or projected streaming figures, there's substantial room for continued growth. The, um, the streaming offerings in music have not been as consumer-friendly as they could have been. There isn't enough of a range of options and choices for consumers. It's not personal in any way. Right now, there's a 50 million track universe. There's 50 million tracks out there and it's either free or it's 10 bucks a month or thereabouts. Now, if streaming services would organise to allow people to choose by genre or by number of tracks per day or by high-res sound or by global or local or whatever it is, the music industry and the tech companies would have been well ahead of where they are now in music, in, in revenue optimization. The kind of service differentiation and segmentation will prove crucial if the industry wants to reach its potential in the decade ahead. In the music streaming industry, when one company innovates, All of the others follow that innovation, do the same thing. So what that has done is to commoditize the delivery of music. And whenever you're in a commodity-driven environment, the only differentiation comes from price, and then everybody loses. Storytelling will become an even more essential for artists to stand out from the crowd, there's 40 to 50,000 tracks being uploaded to Spotify every single day. It's almost impossible on your own to be able to stand out in a crowd like that. There are somewhere around 10 
thousand active artists on the major labels collective rosters. The estimates are that there are 15 to 20 million musicians on YouTube and there are hundreds of millions of kids lip-syncing musicians on TikTok. So it is an unbelievably competitive market. And Facebook and music have the ability to bring people together, to connect you to feelings and friends and moments in time. And the streaming age has generated all of this success. But what don't you get in the playlists? You don't get information about the artists. What's their story? So we're looking in the next few years for different for the various streaming services to differentiate themselves. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It takes 30 seconds or to a minute, something like that, to read every day. And every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology. We talk about Hyperloop and autonomous cars, blockchain, AI. We cover right across the gambit. And tomorrow's newsletter asks the question, is a recession on its way? Now, a lot of people have been pondering that. And uh, the manufacturing sector seems to be already in recession. But a continued slowdown in manufacturing is unlikely to throw the whole US economy into recession as long as unemployment remains low and consumer spending remains high. But you can read all about it in tomorrow's newsletter. If you don't get the newsletter, all you've got to do is go to my website, bob at bobpritchard.com. No, that's my email. You can send it to that too, bobpritchard.com. And uh, just fill in the application form and it'll take you 30 seconds and you will be receive the newsletter from the very next day. It's the one information source that you can rely on for the latest up-to-date information. My guest after the break is music legend Bob Leone, and as I mentioned before, he's the guy who discovered Lady Gaga and Lana Del Rey. He's got a fantastic story to tell. This is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with Bob Leone in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And welcome to the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs and other specialists in, in business who play a role in solving the issues faced by entrepreneurs along their paths to success. We speak to people who are interesting, have something to share with other entrepreneurs that can help us all be successful. And sometimes it's really interesting just to delve into the lives of people who have done extraordinary things. And in these discussions, we try to find out what it is that makes these successful people tick and the challenges that they faced and how they overcome them. And today, I'm really pleased to have an opportunity to speak with a very good friend of mine, Bob Leone, who um, got an amazing claim to fame. He's the guy who first discovered Lady Gaga and Lana Del Rey. Now, you can't do much better than that. So if you're a budding songwriter, singer out there, and uh, you want to be successful, this is the guy to listen to and to get in touch with. Now, Bob first broke into the music industry in 1976 as the principal songwriter and keyboardist for the RCA recording group Flame, whose producer was the legendary Jimmy Ivine, who produced albums for John Lennon, Lady Gaga, Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, U2, and a whole bunch of others. Now, Bob has been critiquing songs professionally for more than 35 years. Now, he doesn't look that old. He looks pretty <laughs> He looks pretty good. He conducted a weekly song critique sessions for the Songwriters Guild of America, where he served as National Products Projects Director from 1981 till 1988. In 1989, he created and organised a highly successful songwriting workshop program. Over 3,100 songwriters participated in 259 workshops, including... Stefani Germanotta, now Lady Gaga, and Lizzie Grant, Lana Del Rey. In 1990, Bob created the Songwriters Hall of Fame Songwriter Showcase Program, and between November 1990 and October 2006, he produced and hosted 59 of these critically acclaimed standing room only events. As many of as 150 to 200 CD submissions were reviewed by Bob for each quarterly showcase. From that, he chose eight artists or bands, each of which performed two songs. Now, many of those featured at Bob's events were offered publishing, production and record deals. Many had their songs placed on film and TV soundtracks and every genre of music was represented at these events. Performances range from artists accompanying themselves on solo instruments to full bands with backup singers and dancers. More than 500 artists, some of whom travelled to New York from countries outside the US, including the UK, participated in this unique program. Many who were unknowns at the time of their performances are now big stars. We mentioned Lady Gaga, Lana Del Rey, John Legend and uh, Rachel Platten were among them. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. You're being heard right around the world. 
Well, thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Mate, it's about time we got together and had another beer, isn't it? <laughs> I think so. It's been a while, a few months. <laughs> it has been a couple of months, hasn't it? So yeah. what was your first professional experience in the music industry? Uh, well, as you mentioned, uh, I've been playing with bands since I was 14 years old as a keyboard player. And my first professional experience was when uh, a band called Flame uh, was signed to a record deal with RCA Records, which was and still is a major label. And uh, the band was co-managed and co-produced by, as you said, the legendary Jimmy Iovine. And this was his first production uh, contract. And uh, it was because of Jimmy's uh, great experience as an engineer, having worked on Bruce Springsteen's uh, Born to Run and a couple of albums by John Lennon that uh, RCA believed in this project. And I was playing with some really great musicians. So that was my first professional experience in this industry. Did you, what did you prefer, writing songs and, and seeing them come to life or um, actually playing keyboards? Um, it's a good question. I hadn't thought about that before. I, I would say writing songs was uh, gave me the greatest joy, even uh, more so than being in the studio, although I enjoy that very much as well. And uh, performing live, even when we played large festivals, it's, I enjoyed it very much. It was exhilarating, but writing songs was really uh, what I loved doing more than anything else. What's the thrill about writing songs? Is it actually coming up, coming up with a song initially or see it expand and grow? Because a lot of people probably who haven't seen songwriters' work don't realise that, um, you know, some of the most famous Beatles songs started off as just a few words on the back of a coaster and uh, through development and production and creative minds have became fantastic songs. So is that the exciting part, watching this little seed grow into a full production? Yeah, very, very much so. Um, I was always the guy that wrote the music. Right. Um, and sometimes the music was co-written. But um, I was never a lyric writer. So a lyricist would come to me. Uh, this is before I joined playing and but get a sense of what they were trying to communicate and to create music that suited it. Um, with Flame, uh, I did, it was, oh, except for one song which I wrote, you know, lyrics and music to, that was on the second album, I co-wrote um, with the lead guitarist, Jimmy Crespo. And we just had this nice chemistry together. It wasn't exactly Lennon and McCartney, but <laughs> it's the same kind of thing where we kind of bounced ideas off each other. And, um, you know, I, it's, here's a melody for the verse, and he'd come up with a melody for the chorus, and, and that kind of thing. And the, the lyrics were also kind of uh, co-written, but we bring our lead singer, Mark Raymond, in on that as well. So that's how that pretty much worked. I was the music guy. So... And the keyboard player in the band. Yeah. It seems to me that the, um, the guy who writes the music um, always seems to get more credit than the guy who writes the, writes the, the, lyri the, um, the lyrics. Is that... Well, as as, as uh, one composer said, you never uh, you don't hear anybody humming the lyric. So, and I I think probably um, what catches people first, the most important part uh, part of a hit song, is almost always the melody. That's what people remember. And uh, when you've got a great lyric attached to it, then that becomes a timeless song. Or can 
become a timeless song. But yeah, I think uh, with commercial pop songs, it's it's always the melody that stands out and what people remember most, especially uh, in the choruses, which are supposed to uh, be that part of a song that the really hook. lifts yeah. people. The hook, exactly. Yeah, I was. I, I always feel sorry for somebody like Tim Rice. You know, I, I listen to Phantom, and I think, gee, the thing that I remember are those phenomenal words. Um, and yet, um, Weber seems to be so much bigger a star than Tim Rice. Of course, Tim yeah. Rice is worth four hundred and fifty million dollars or something. So it's not as if he's done yeah. badly out of it. But no, uh, no. but you do tend to think of of Weber before you think of Rice, and I think you know I, I don't quite get that. However, um, so Flame Flame disbands. What happened there? Yes, Where did you go then? Well, um, what happened was that Judge uh, Jimmy Iovine, uh, for personal reasons involving his co-manager, um, decided he no longer want to work with the group. It was a very emotional experience for him. So we were passed on to another manager and recorded a second album, which, um, without Jimmy's input, just wasn't as good as the first one. And so there was a the sales were much lower than they were for the first album and uh, we were dropped by RCA right. um, Columbia approached us and had uh, was considering signing us but in the end that just didn't work out so it, yeah, as happens with most bands it's a personnel issue didn't have anything to do with the music the quality of the music it was just that once Jimmy left uh, RCA kind of lost interest and it didn't get the kind of marketing and promotion that the first album did so yeah. it essentially failed and that was pretty much the end of the group it's bloody hard to be in a band it's it's hard I was you know I, I had a, a backing band for I don't know plenty near 10 years or something and six or seven people living in each other's pockets every day mm. on the road with all the frustrations and the lousy food and the lousy hotels the lousy dressing rooms <laughs> it, absolutely it really starts to take its toll it, yeah it's like being married to six people but not being married to one but it's like <laughs> being married to six people yeah and uh, you know everybody's neuroses is uh, comes into play and of course the tours are exhilarating to some extent but mostly exhausting at least that's that's what I've found so tension's going to build there's always going to be friction although I have to say the guys and girls in flame got along very very well and we dealt with it pretty well but it's it's not easy it's not as glamorous as people think it is so no it's not so so what did you do then um well, I decided to look for other lyricists, so I, I went to a meeting at the Songwriters Guild of America, and uh, what happened within a couple of months was that the National Projects Director there was writing a Broadway, Broadway musical called Firefox, I think it was, and he said that he thought I would be ideal to take the position over. Since it was only 20 hours a week, I was able to continue playing in bands um, for all that time, and so I had kind of the best of both worlds. And uh, while I was at the Guild, I ran what we called Ask a Pro sessions, where it's exactly what it sounds like. I would bring a music industry professional in to answer uh, questions that were submitted by uh, members of the Songwriters Guild, who basically were all aspiring artists and songwriters. Right. I also had a workshop program that I did there, not, you know, not on the level of the Hall of Fame, but because the Guild was a smaller organization, but I, I did that as well, and um, 
I think that's pretty much. I was the membership director, so my primary job was to uh, bring in new members. Right. And uh, I was able to do that but you know, through the Ask a Pro sessions and the workshops. It was easy to get people to join the organization because there weren't too many activities like that anywhere else in New York right. at that time in the West. Now, so you've developed a reputation and you're known as the Star Finder. Is that is that all to do with Lady Gaga or was um, um, did that happen before pretty, you found Gaga? Yeah, pretty much, though. No, I would, no, it pretty much started with, well, after I got to the Songwriters Hall of Fame. So as you mentioned before, I was with the Guild from, from 81 to 88. And then I was asked by the late, great lyricist Sammy Kahn, Yep. to become a national project director the Hall of Fame. There was no position prior to that, but the membership of the organization was dwindling really, really fast because they were older guys, and uh, I think the median age was around 65, and there were only 400 members at that point when I was brought in. And by creating um, that particular workshop program and the sh- Songwriter Showcase program and open mics and networking meetings, I was able to triple the membership within probably within about nine nine months year at the most wow and it was those activities and services which um again were not really that available in new york at the time um that drew people to the organization and uh those were 18 wonderful years and uh, it was the way i met lady gaga uh, stephanie was she walked into one of my open mic sessions one night with her mother right uh cynthia and uh, First time, she basically just sat there with me at the floor and for two hours. And the second time, she did pretty much the same thing. So I walked over to her and said, uh, Stephanie, I know how intimidating this must be you because you're only 14 and everyone else here is at least in their 20s. So I would really love to hear what you've got, though. So when you come back, if you come back, I'd love to uh, get up on stage and show everybody that, uh, you know, what you can do. And about an hour into that next session, she got up on stage, and you didn't have to be a genius to know that this girl was <laughs> going to be a superstar. The quality of her lyric writing, her keyboard playing, her voice, I mean, it was very clear to everyone that this girl was going to be a star. Also, as I got to know her over the next five years, um, she read everything she possibly could about how the industry works. So she not only was expert at the craft of writing, but she also is pretty knowledgeable about the business and how it operates at that time. Of course, it's a completely different business now. And of course, she was a hard worker, right? A very hard worker. She had a very strong work ethic, which when I'm thinking about signing an artist now, that's pretty much as important to me as talent because, uh, you know, I've known a lot of very gifted people, certainly a lot of the people that passed through my showcase program who were as good as uh, as Gaga and Lana Del Rey, but didn't have that work ethic. They didn't have what I call the four Ds, which is you know, I have to simplify things like that. But determination, dedication, devotion, and discipline. A lot of artists have maybe three of those, but Gaga, Lana, John Legend, uh, they they had all four. So and when, uh, that's why I think it works for them. Lana was a whole different situation. I happened to be at a legendary club in uh, in Manhattan called Bitter End. And uh, I was there just to check out, to, to support some of, some writers I knew. And she, kind of, she walked up to me and um, waited very patiently while we finished conversation with the people that had come up before her. And I turned to her and I said, so you're a singer-songwriter? And she said, yeah, how did you know? So I said, so you have no idea who I am. And she said, um, 
she said, no, I don't. Should I? And I said, why did you come up to me and wait patiently for 15 minutes? Because um, you're such a good-looking, hot guy. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, I wish she had said that. But what she said was very interesting. <laughs> she said, I, I was compelled to. And, you know, looking back at that, it's kind of interesting that she would say that because I was very involved with getting her started. And unlike Gaga, nobody else seemed to get Lana. She was, you know, know anything about her music, you know, that there's something very unique about it. And um, we spent some time together. I I liked her. And one day she asked if she can come up to my apartment and uh, and play some of the songs. And normally I would have said no, but it so happened that I had... uh, a friend of mine and his artist up there. Uh, I just asked them to stay. And um, she pulls out her guitar and she's shaking, trembling, and um, she can barely hold it, let alone play it. And she's not, she didn't play chords, she's playing single notes. So I'm hearing, bing, 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 bing. And I'm thinking, oh my God, <laughs> this girl was so lovely and I had so much hope for her. And how am I going to tell her that it's just not, she just doesn't have it? But the second I heard her voice, like the voice of an angel, and her lyrics, I knew. I knew this girl was going to be a star. So I put her in all my showcases, and she was not well-received, to say the least. Um, People were used to me. You mentioned before that I would get about 150 submissions for each showcase every quarter. So people were used to getting the creme de la creme. And this, after all, was New York City, where people came from all over the world to try to make it uh, as artists. So I put her in the second one, um, you know, hoping that after a period of about six months, she, she would improve. And um, she made a huge mistake because I was always very involved in selecting songs with the artist as well. And she gets up on stage and you can actually see this on the DVD. She said, well, Bob picked two songs with me that he wanted me to do, but I'm going to do two other songs. And <laughs> it was a huge mistake because she picked one song that lasted for 10 minutes and another song that was actually unfinished. Right. So the reception was even worse than it was. And she said, um, she came over to me afterwards and she said, I'm done. Um, I, I just can't take this kind of rejection. I'm too thin-skinned. And I basically took her back to my apartment and pretty much begged her not to give up so easily. She said, I'm going home tomorrow, I'm going back up to Lake Placid and moving back in with my parents and I talked her into staying in New York, and I just told her as many open mics as you can, uh, you know, develop. You are obviously undeveloped in law, and I see it. I see your talent. I see your potential. I think you're a star, but nobody else here seems to. I said, in addition, I think you might consider moving to London. It's a different kind of music scene there. I think they're going to be more open to your unique style of, of writing and performing. Right. And sure enough, within a couple of months, she signed to the managers that she still has. And, uh, you know, exploded. The rest is her story, <laughs> I guess is the way I, I describe it. So um, she was the opposite of Gaga, is what I'm saying. Gaga was obviously a superstar. Lana was not. Take, but yeah. when people call me a star finder, it's because I recognize something in her that no one else did. And to have discovered two people who are still huge uh, international artist is why I still have that reputation. It's not like I discovered Millie Vanilli. Um, <laughs> I spotted some, some very special people. And, so, uh, 
So when the- John John Legend, I was involved with John. Only he was not in the showcase, but we offered him a rare scholarship program, and John was one of our recipients. This is when he was still John Stephen. Yeah, and the the award um, involved a large cash payment as well. And I remember being in a bookstore years later, and I hear someone calling, you know, Bob, Bob, and I turn around with John Legend. By this point, he's very famous. And he said, I just want to tell you something that I haven't expressed to you before. And that is that the money that I received from that scholarship actually allowed me to finish a demo recording that I was working on. I didn't have enough money prior to that um, to finish it. That demo led to my being assigned by a major label. So um, I can't take, I can't say, you know, I thought John was great when I first heard him, but I can't really say that I, I discovered him, but we certainly helped him move to the next level. And that's something I loved about the whole thing. We, we created all these activities and services and opportunities for so, aspiring writers to become successful, whether it was just getting a production deal or a publishing deal, or we set a film on a soundtrack. They weren't all major label stars, but a lot of these people were able to make a living just doing music. And that's not always an easy thing to do. Yeah. A couple of questions. First question. Yep. When Gaga came in, 14 years old, um, yeah. was was the talent developed then or was there a period somewhere between then and a few years later that she sort of found her feet and all of a sudden became that superstar? Interesting question. She was, she was already there, as I mentioned, in terms of her, her vocals, her, her songwriting and her keyboard playing. But um, in the five years after that, she asked me to become a manager when she turned 19. But in the five years between, in between, she was writing better and better songs. That's where her craft really improved. And there were great songs that she'd written, some of which will never be heard because when she got signed, it wasn't felt that they were commercial enough. Right. So she did a dance track called Just Dance, I think it was, and that broke her, and then she ended up writing other things. But the one thing that changed for the better was her songwriting. Okay, well, it, just look at that for a second. Somebody somebody comes in to see you, and they're a songwriter. They play guitar or... or um, something, piano or whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. What and, and, and they've got a personality, obviously. What, what are the most important things that you look for? What, everybody talks about the X factor. What, um, what's the relationship the factor, between yeah. the X factor and, and how bloody much talent you've got in the first place? Yeah, well, charisma is a big part of it. Um, it's, you know, anyone can, you know, who's had some couple of years of playing guitar, who can get up on a stage and play guitar and sing. It's not like, you know, anybody can say, hey, I'm a singer-songwriter. Yeah. It's not like, uh, you know, you can't say I'm a, uh, a surgeon or a lawyer or a CPA. Um, and some of these people even write fairly good songs, but if they don't entertain there's no charisma, there's no stage presence, and that's important. When I had so many submissions for showcases, um, I would, you know, one of the reasons I chose people was that personality, something that where people would actually pay attention to you for three and a half minutes, or in case of the showcases, it would be two songs. Um, so that's important. Um, 
and there's a thing I call authenticity. And a lot of songs are written from not not a really deep, real place, but authentic artists who really dug deep. In fact, I had one last night who came up to my apartment and auditioned for me. Was an authentic artist because you feel something. They it's something moving and poignant. Of course, I'm not talking about up-tempo dance songs, but I'm sure. talking about sure. typical mid-tempo ballads, ballad kinds of songs. Yeah. And when you are moved, um, then you know there's something special going on there. It's, uh, I like writers who make me feel deeply and also make me think. And when somebody can do both, I know they're special. And the strong work ethic, as I said before, is, uh, is very important. Um, but it's that. That's what, that's what I consider the X factor, the it factor, is charisma and just being able to go down deep and being completely vulnerable. This is what Lana Del Rey does so, so well. And that's why she has legions of fans who are absolutely dedicated to her because she's not afraid to go to that dark place and talk about, about uh, you know, sing about sadness and depression, which a record company executive would say, well, there's nothing commercial about this, so we're not going to sign you. Yeah. Um, but Jimmy Iovine saw what I saw and signed it into Scope Records at one point, which interestingly enough is where Gaga is also uh, stationed at Interscope. It's interesting so that... That's it, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting that, you, you know, most of the singers songwriters that I know um, and I don't know anywhere near as many as you do but they're in their personal life they tend to be not exactly shy and retiring but but quiet and mm-hmm. um, and then when they get on stage they come alive so that's true is that's that very very common is that no, talent I, I, born or is it developed I think Real talent, you probably have, you probably have to be born with at least a certain level of it, and then it can be developed, it can be fine-tuned, it can be honed. That's that's the part of it that's the craft. The part of it that's the art, that I think is what you have to be born with. You can't, we have songwriting workshops, as, as we mentioned before. You can't teach someone to be an authentic artist, but you can teach a songwriter to become a better craftsperson. And that's kind of what Lana, when Lana took a workshop, when she came back to me and talked about how it positively impacted her, that's basically how it, how it affected She became a better lyric writer. But the feelings, the emotions behind the lyrics were, that can't be taught. That's something you either have or you don't. Yeah, some people are just born with something. I know the first time I saw Adam Lambert, on stage, I thought, "Jeez, uh-huh. this guy's got star written all over him." And the, the yeah, way the yeah. way he looks, the way he moves, his expressions—not to mention the fact that he's got a five and a half octave range—but he's right. he's just um, he's just got that something before he even opens his mouth. You can say, "Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing him on American Idol." Yeah, and he is now a very successful Broadway star. Yeah, uh, he's been in a number of different Broadway productions, so he certainly found his way to go back for a second to what I said before about being an introvert um, in life and then being uh, extremely extroverted on stage great example of that is Bruce Springsteen I happened to when Jimmy was producing Flame album in the same studio on another floor was was uh, Jimmy was engineering born to run with Bruce so 
we all got to know each other very well. And Bruce was always very quiet, very thoughtful, you know, very laid back. But once Bruce gets on stage, it's absolutely crazy time. I mean, he's as extroverted as you can possibly get. So that's just one example of a very famous person who is exactly what you, what you mentioned before. Very shy and quiet when not on stage, but completely different once he's on stage. The, um... A lot of people, a lot of artists will say, I never feel more at home than when I'm on stage performing. Yeah. So you recently moved from New York City where you'd spent all that time to Los Angeles, apart from the fact that the weather is so much better here and <laughs> and yeah. your group of friends here, you know, I mean, we're all wonderful people. So what was the real reason behind you coming to L.A.? Yeah, what had happened was I came to L.A. Uh, I was in L.A. only once prior to that, and that was in 81 when I worked with Stevie Nicks on Belladonna, which I would say is a highlight of my career. That was a wonderful experience. I decided to come, I came back in June of 2017 because a very close friend of mine from New York had moved out here uh, several years prior to that, and we wanted to reconnect. So I thought I'd come out here. And I knew I wasn't going to spend 24-7 with him, so I kind of decided to contact my favorite artists who were based here in L.A., and I had a meeting with, with one of them every single night for those seven or eight nights I was there. And it, it kind of piqued my interest in artist management because I thought these people are so incredible, some of them, and they really don't have an advocate. They don't have someone kind of working with them to help them get to get a record deal if that's what they if that's yeah. what they want because a lot of artists are just not business people you know it's like one side of the, one hemisphere of the brain is working but not necessarily the other hemisphere ain't that the truth so <laughs> yeah I mean I do know one of my artists definitely has both hemispheres working and she's, she's incredible she gets it all done including the business part of it she got something like 130 million streams now on one song wow. um, which takes a, a great deal of work to get to that point so um, and talking to Bob, found out that Bob was also doing artist management with an industry legend, Phil Quadraro, yep. who Phil headed up uh, two major labels, and he was the senior VP of promotion and marketing for two major labels as He's well. He's an extraordinary the, guy. Yeah, he absolutely is. I love him to death. Yeah. And once I heard that he was involved, I decided to see what I can do. So among the people that I met, I brought their attention to an artist named Dyson and uh, talked Phil and Bob into coming to her, her studio to hear what I had already heard, and they were blown away. And that certainly scored points for me with Phil. Now, Phil had already known that I had discovered Gaga and Lana, so I was already kind of halfway in at that point. And then when I showed him that I could bring people just as exceptional as, right. as them into our company, he said let's work together and I, I said absolutely so I'm still working with with, uh, with them and, and now we have formed a publishing company right uh, well which is very successful at this point so I'm really happy about that so that's why I came also in the three visits I made here prior to my moving it was all within a two-year period I made some wonderful friends and so that was a big draw for me um, because they were, these are people, all creative people in fashion and in film and TV and of course in music, mostly in music. So 
all of those factors kind of kind of came together and, and said, "This is where you need to be." And so, as of nine months ago, here I am, and I absolutely made the right decision. I, a- I love my life right now, and I, I'm involved in not only with Phil and Bob, but I'm also involved with uh, got the name of Mark Schoenfeld, and we're doing we work on music-driven film and TV projects. And he knows some major people in that area, so a lot of my time and energy now is going into that. The problem with the record industry right now, and the reason I'm backing away from it a little bit, is because all they're concerned about is social media numbers. Yep. The first question I ask is, how many followers does your artist have? Well, film, not like the film's getting a bit like that, too. Film? The film industry? Yeah. When, they, yeah, when, when they're hiring people, night, how many... What's your social media following? That's right. This girl that was up here last night that I had mentioned before, she surprised me by saying, because I mentioned it, this is something you don't have to deal with in film and TV. So she said, no, as a matter of fact, now when we have to yeah, you do. When we have yeah. auditions, they ask us how many followers do you have. Yeah, that's right. Um, as if there's a correlation between social media followers and talent. Which you, can, not. you can buy fucking followers. Exactly. <laughs> it exactly. costs you a few dollars. Jeez. Right. And you've got people that have got hundreds of thousands of followers, and they suck. And then there are people <laughs> who are brilliant, and they only have 200 followers. So... Okay. You know, I, I don't want to talk badly about anyone in particular, but in the history of A and R, there was there have been some wonderful A and R people and found some great artists. But for the most part, these guys wouldn't know a hit song or a talented artist that slapped them across the head. They yeah. just wouldn't, and and that's unfortunate. So now, okay, we'll look at the social media numbers, and the more they have, the more talented they probably are. Yeah, and that's ridiculous. why the music industry, what you're hearing now, is so generic and so bland and so vanilla. And they're all saying they want to find somebody unique and different, but they're so risk averse and so financially conservative that they're not actually going to make that investment. Um, yeah, they're, not, they're certainly not spending a lot of money to develop new talent, are they? No, none at all. There is no such thing as A&R anymore. No, that's they right. Take somebody like Alicia Keys. She was found by a friend of mine, Jody Gerson, who was working for a major publishing company, and Jody took her under her wing, and they did, they, over a four- or five-year period, they developed her into the artist she is they brought her to a major label at that point and she was immediately signed that doesn't happen anymore Springsteen had three albums that did very poorly before he had Born to Run Yeah. now he wouldn't have one failed album before he would be dropped so yeah that's just the way it is now and it's unfortunate and this is why I mean the artist I mentioned before her name is Liliana Wilde she's got 130 million streams 100 million on YouTube, another 30 million on TikTok. She's getting 18,000 Spotify plays a day. She's got over 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. And still, even though two major labels approached us, because she only has 12,000 followers, they said, well, we're not going to offer a deal, not even a single deal. Come on. Is that insane or what? That is insane. But she's making money. She's making money because you make money from, you know, yeah. the more streams you have, sure. the more, you know, it's monetized. Yeah. But that, to me, is absolutely stunning. Absolutely stunning. So that's why I'm putting my efforts now into film and TV projects. Of course, they're music-driven because that's what I'm passionate about is music. And, yes, they're asking people about social media numbers, but because my partner works only with top-tier people, they don't care. 
what they yeah. say is, I don't care what school I went to, I don't care what kind of formal training you've had, I don't care if you've written 4,000 songs, if you've got the quality, if you've got that big factor that you and I talked about a few moments ago, that's it, they don't care. You've got it, you've got star quality, you see something special in you, like I saw on this girl last night, you're in, you're in. And then it's just a question of, you know, saying, okay, what have you got for us? What kind of deal? Netflix is looking for somebody like this person. It's, you know, Kenny Ortega is looking for high school musical again, but he's doing it with Netflix, that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's more possibility of the people you're working with becoming successful in film and TV. And you can get a major label deal that way as well. If you're yeah. a star in a TV show and you can sing and dance, get, they'll come after you. You can start a bidding war with labels at that point. Bob, I'm afraid we've run out of time. Bob Leone, thank you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business. Now, if you're a songwriter... It was an absolute pleasure, Bob. Great. If you're a singer-songwriter, Bob Leone's the guy you've got to look up. Now, if anybody would like to know more about Bob, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, I would say the best way is through email. Um, My email address is Bob Leone, B-O-B-L-E-O-N-E, underscore... 2000 at yahoo.com. Just send me an email and we'll take it from there. Bob Leone underscore at yahoo. Underscore 2000. Underscore 2000. At yahoo.com. At yahoo.com. Thanks very much, mate. You can also find me on Facebook and send me a message. That's another way. Thank you, Bob. We'll catch up. Enjoy this. We'll talk back to you soon. Okay. Look forward to it. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on the Voice America Business Network, and I'll be back in just a few seconds. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the 422nd Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network. Being broadcast today from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, California. And this is the place where entertainment meets technology. Now, one of the great pleasures of Thanksgiving is having a glass of wine with friends. Pretty hard to beat, or a beer, but a glass of wine's good. Well, the bad news is that climate change is now screwing with the global wine industry. We don't think, these are the things we don't think about when we think about global warming, but the wine industry is just one of the many industries that's being disrupted by climate change. And this sounds ridiculous, but it's possible that Scandinavia will be the next big thing in viticulture. Now, climatologists predict that by 2050, Scandinavia will warm by up to as much as 43 degrees Fahrenheit. Whew. So already warmer temperatures have contributed to a longer growing season, which has been a boon when it comes to white wine production. But 
winemakers in France and Italy and Spain, the traditional centres of growing wine, are struggling because they've got record high temperatures. Over the summer, they watched as grapes burned on the vine as temperatures hit 105 degrees. This is really unusual. Producers in South America, California, Australia, New Zealand, they're also taking hits as the temperature of the world gets warmer. So Scandinavia, where it's normally freezing, I don't know how many of you have been to Scandinavia. I remember many trips to Scandinavia. I had a good client up there and you spend your life freezing to death. It's bloody cold. But Scandinavian wine revenues, they're still very small compared with other countries, to give you an idea of how small. The three Scandinavian countries only generate $15 million between the three of them. Compared with France, which is one of the great wine-growing countries of the world, that grows $30 billion a year just in France alone. So $15 million for uh, Scandinavia, $30 billion for France. It's still pretty expensive to produce wines in Scandinavia because um, Scandinavias are not recognised as a wine-growing country and therefore they don't get anything like the subsidies that um, that the billions of dollars in subsidies that the European Union gives winemakers in other parts of Europe. And winemakers in Denmark and Sweden have EU approval to grow less than a 1,000 acres of vineyards. So in Europe, the um, EU can tell you how much wine you can grow. And uh, Denmark and Sweden are limited to a 1,000 acres, which is nothing. France and Italy and Spain, they're allowed to grow 7.5 million acres. Big difference between a 1,000 acres and 7.5 million acres. Still, growth has been rapid. In the past 15 years, Denmark went from two commercial vineyards to 90. And there are about 40 vineyards in Sweden and 12 in Norway. So growth is very rapid, but they've still got a hell of a long way to go. But if global warming keeps going the way it is, then it could only be a matter of time before we can get some great wines from Scandinavia. Just got to be patient. Now, next week, we'll be broadcasting from Charlotte, South Carolina. and I'm looking forward to that. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier And it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anybody can do the ordinary. The world's full of bloody ordinary people. You don't want to be ordinary because ordinary means boring.
And you don't want to be boring, do you? You want to be the person at the party that's the life of the party. You don't want to be the party that everybody says, look at that guy over there in the corner. How boring is he? You don't want to be that person. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative to success, failure, really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard broadcasting today from Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.